Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Today's topic is secular music, a Torah viewpoint on playing and listening to various types of music. Um, we have had a discussion before regarding the power of music in general, and I'd like to review some of those major points together. And then I'd like to get into some of the halacha questions in the practical realm using melodies that come from a non-Jewish or secular source or even a, a religious source of a different religion. Or let's say you're listening to a, a composer, beautiful classical music that was created by someone like uh, Richard Vanguard, a tremendous anti-Semite, a very evil man. Does that invalidate the music? Does it make it therefore also for me to listen and enjoy it? Or would we say, music is music, I could enjoy the melody without giving any acceptance or credence to the person who created the melody. Another topic I'd like to get into is the question of using non-Jewish melodies in tefillah. And I think the way we'll divide this sheer, today we'll go through some of the basic sources regarding the power of music in general, and we'll get involved with the potential issues and restrictions of listening to outside non-Jewish music. And then in Ritz Hashem next week, we'll get involved with singing during davening. Is that a good thing? Is that a productive thing? Does it take away from the tefillah? Does it enhance it? And what kind of melodies are appropriate? I'll share with you a story. I remember many years ago, I had the opportunity to drive Rabbi Mordechai Trapper, he was the mashkiach in the yeshiva in Chafetz Chaim. I had the opportunity to drive him to Chapman's Lake, and it was it was a good three hours. I was going there with him and spending Shabbos with his family, and uh, we were talking a lot in the car. That was during the time where I was in the middle of dating, and there was a lot to discuss. At one point, though. He reaches into the glove compartment, he takes out his CD, and he puts it in. And I'm waiting to hear Avram Fried or, you know, some other classic Jewish musician. And instead, I hear, Country road, take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home, country road. It was John Denver. John Denver. I was somewhat surprised, but uh, that's who we listened to in the way down the chat to like. So let's analyze different types of music in general, and then we'll get into the quote-unquote, non-Jewish music world. If one is studying the history of music, interesting question to ask is, who was the first person to really bring that art form into the world? And anybody who knows the Bible will answer. Genesis chapter 4. The Pasuk tells us that the shame Achiv Yuval, Hu Haya Ovi Kaltofes Kinav Ugov. There was a man named Yuval, and he was the father of all of those who play the lyre and flute. And the Ibn Ezra, one of the early commentaries in the Torah, he says, Mine kol neginos v'hi chachma gedola. 
This fellow Yuval had a tremendous chokhmah, a depth of wisdom, bringing in the art form of music into the world. So the fact that Torah is going out of its way to mention the origins of music, probably a pretty clear indication that there's something special here. The Ramban has a line in the Shara Gamul. He speaks about the, the beauty of music. He says, There is nothing in the physical world as sublime, as subtle as music. Music is the highest level within the physical realm. And the truth is, uh, superficially, this seems to echo um, secular philosophers who came much later. I'll give you an example. There was a fellow named Arthur Schopenhauer, one of the most depressing philosophers of all time. His basic theory in life was it's just not worth living. The, uh, the amount of suffering and pain and anxiety that we go through as human beings, you're better off dead. And if you were a real man, you would just kill yourself. Now, why did he spend his life writing philosophy? <laughs> I'm not sure. One of the great ironies of life. But Schopenhauer does say that if one delves into the humanities, art, and literature, and especially music, that's uplifting. That could elevate you. And music is something special that somehow connects directly with the most humane part of who we are, and that's worthwhile. So superficially, it sounds like he was saying something similar to the Ramban, but I want to share with you, there's a major, major difference between how we view music in Torah philosophy in contrast to other things we find in the world. That whole area of study, art, literature, music, oftentimes referred to as the humanities. Why is that called, why are those things called the humanities? Because the assumption was, and perhaps still is, that delving into that area of study makes one more humane, almost automatically. And we believe that's not true. Uh, the greatest example that comes to mind is Rabbi Aaron Feldman. There's a book out with many of his essays. And uh, he quotes an article from the newspaper Haaretz, where a woman was speaking about how her mother survived the Holocaust. And she was taken to Auschwitz, and Dr. Mengele, Mach Shemo, he found out, looking over her records, that she was an accomplished pianist, and she was a well-known musician. So he brought her to his music chamber, Dr. Mengele himself, was a big fan of classical music. His favorite melody, surprisingly, was Ave Maria, a religious hymn. And um, he would have her play piano for him. And oftentimes he would accompany her on his violin. Now, while she was playing, 
He trained his attack dogs to be so in tune to the music that if she would be off by a note, they would pounce on her and they would bite her viciously. He made her play for him even when she was ill with tuberculosis and during the most torturous times of her life, fragile and barely alive. That's a great example where you see one can be into the humanities, but it doesn't make you more humane. You could enjoy music, you could be a decent musician, but that doesn't change who you are. If you take headphones and you put them on a cow and you blast Beethoven for 48 hours straight, the cow is still a cow. So from the Torah perspective, we believe that music is a vehicle It's a means to an end, but it is not an end unto itself. If it's channeled in the right direction, it's used with the focus of growth and aliyah and transcendence, it could accomplish amazing things. But by itself, it could do absolutely nothing. Music is actually an aspect of avodas Hashem. Part of our service of God is through music. The Gemara in Brachas tells us, according to one opinion, that David Amalek would wake up at Chatzos in the midnight and he would sing to Hashem for hours and hours. That was his normal routine. We know that the Avoda of the Levim, in the Beis HaMikdash, it was an Avoda of music. They had different songs for different occasions and karbanos. One of the main experiences in the Beis HaMikdash was hearing the profundity and the power of the music played and the songs that, the songs that were sang by the Nevi'im. We, we learned Shmuel before Mincha and Shabbos. If you recall back, in the second chapter of Shmuel, it speaks about him as a young man. And it's contrasting him with the sons of Eli. The sons of Eli were self-indulgent and they were getting into food and drink and physical pleasure. But it says, Shmuel mishares es p'nei Hashem nar That Shmuel was a young man who was devoted to service of God. So what was his service? Comes along the Radak and he says, well, he was Mesharis Pnei Hashem, Hayim Misasig B'Talmud Torah, Ledas Es Hashem. He was engaged in the learning of Torah, which we know is the motor behind everything we do. He was trying to understand Hashem on a deeper level and have an emotional connection with the Bori Olam. And listen to these words. Olilmudes Avodes Halavim B'Shir B'Peh U'B'Kli. And he was training in the avoda of the Levim, and how to sing, and how to play the instruments. V'chol zehu avodas Hashem, says the Radak, all of this, the limit HaTorah, the mitzvos, but even the training in the music, that's all considered service of God when channeled for the right intention. The Peleyoetz was one of the great Sephardic rabbis in the early 1800s, and he has a very powerful essay on sheer, on music. 
he echoes the words of the Radak and he says, Hashem ma'od, referring to the idea of every person singing, not just in shul, but kol echad yeshorer al shulchano shirim noim. Everyone should sing at his table. That should be part of the dynamic in the house. A Jewish home should be a home with song. This is significant service of God. What do the angels do all day? What are the malachim engaged in? They sing. They make music to Hashem in a celestial sphere, a music that perhaps we can't even understand. But it's the same kernel. That's what the malachim do. That's what we should be doing at home, at the Shabbos table, at the Yantif table, if it's Hanukkah time. Music has to be an integral part of our Vodas Hashem because it is a Vodas Hashem Cheshuvah Ma'od. I want to share with you a couple of interesting results, levels that we could attain through music. We have at the shul here, our Hashem now, for the last few years, we get together with the yeshiva, and we have a kumzitz, lel slichos, the first night of slichos, we have a kumzitz. And I remember one time somebody asked me the question, what exactly is the connection between singing, which is a nice thing to do, and slichos. Slichos is a time of tshuva. We're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. The answer is simple. There is a very, very strong parallel between music and tshuva. There's a, an amazing chazal speaks about the sons of Korach. During probably one of the most tumultuous times in Jewish history, where there is a, a full-on rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu, questioning his leadership, questioning the Torah itself. So the sons of Korach were really trapped between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, they respected their father, they revered their father, and he was an Adam Gadol, he was a very, very righteous man until he, he went off. And they felt an allegiance to their father. They have to follow and be part of his campaign. At the same time, how could they leave Moshe Rabbeinu? How could they, how could they go against the Torah and go against his leadership? So they were trapped in the middle, not knowing what to do or where to turn. And Chazal say literally, as they were being swallowed by the ground, still not sure which direction to go, Sha'omru Shira they began to sing. And it was through the music they arrived at clarity. It was through the song they finally came to that hachlata, to that conclusion, we need to be with Moshe Rabbeinu. We know that's truth. The music led them to tshuva, led them to clarity. The Vilna Gaon in his commentary to Divri Yomim. He says that through the power of music we're able to be victorious. We're able to overcome the Yetzahara. So that's one impact that music could have. It could bring one to clarity and tshuva. It could also enhance bitachon. It could give us a stronger sense of faith 
and reliance on Hashem. We say every Shabbos in the, uh, in the paragraph in Tehillim, Lazamir l'shim that we sing into Hashem's uplifted name. And in the Siddur Hagra, the Siddur Hagra is written by one of the disciples of the Vilna Gon. He explains that line, Lazamir l'shim even if we're down and we're in the mud and we're depressed, because we're suffering, because life is not going the way we envisioned, because the expectations we had for ourselves or for our families, they're not being met. We don't see any hope. We're living in darkness. What do we do? We could breathe life into our hearts through music. To awaken bitachon within ourselves for the future. That's what music can do. It could penetrate the darkness. It could give us a sense of hope. We have something to look forward to. It enhances bitacha. And that's why there are so many stories, so many stories during the Holocaust where you had people going to their deaths through song. The Mechtav uh, Meliohu shares one particular story. He speaks about the young men from Kelm who are being led out to be Moser Nefesh. And Reb Dessler writes... If you weren't there, you could never imagine that level of devakis, that level of connection and devotion these young men had. They were able to give themselves more strength. And they were actually enthralled with the joy of the opportunity of dying, the Kiddush Hashem. Hayu merakdim, they were dancing b'chol kocham with all of their strength, and they were singing b'chol oz with all of their might. What song were they singing, says Reb Dessler? Oso zemer atzmo shel simcha, they were singing a song of joy and a song of hope. Ashreinu matov chalkeinu. This is a song that we sing every simcha's Torah. How fortunate are we? How fortunate are we that we have this amazing relationship, that we have a mission of the Amanivchar. The song these young men were singing was Ashreinu Matov Chalkeinu Ashreinu Sheyehudim Menachnu that Baruch Hashem were thankful for being Jews and if we're going to die there's no better way to die as than as a proud and strong Jew. Music brings bitachon. Music can also unlock the secrets and the mysteries of the universe. One of the disciples of the Vilna Gon, quoting his Rebbe, said that music is a necessary tool in understanding the secrets of the Zohar. Through having a mastery of music, 
then you'll understand Kabbalah, then you'll understand many of the things that are only mysteries to us now. And he says an amazing line. Many of the melodies that we have, he's talking now in the 1700s, which in the scope of history is not that long ago, many of the melodies that we have go back to Moshe Rabbeinu at Har Sinai, and where did Moshe get them from? From the Malachi Shares. We mentioned that's what the Malachim do. The Malachim live in a world of Shira. From that world, Moshe Rabbeinu not only received Torah Shebechsav, Torah Shebalpeh, he also received Nigunim. And one last point of the power of music, besides inspiring tshuva and bringing clarity, besides enhancing bitachon and faith, and besides its ability to unlock the secrets of the universe, music can actually bring one to prophecy. We also learned recently in Sefer Shmuel, the B'nai Hanavim, people who were training to be prophets, what they would do is they would have musicians play before them, and then through the uplifting nature of the music, that's how they would attain prophecy. The Gemara in Psachim says that Elisha, the great prophet, he said, the, this is the Pasuk in Malachim, Get for me a musician. And as he was playing, then Elisha was able to connect with God. So music can actually bring one to such a transcendent state that you could experience prophecy. That's the power of music in this world. There are certain sources that reveal to us that we, being trapped in the time and space, the physical realm, we can't hear the music of Shemayim. We can't hear the music of the Malachim. There was actually a time in history where people did hear that music. The Umar and Sanhedrin says that when the army of Sancherev, Sancherev we know was the leader of the Assyrian army that exiled the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Klal Yisrael, and his plan was to exterminate the entire Jewish people to wage war on the southern kingdom as well. And this took place about 130 years before the destruction of the first temple, during the time of Chizkiah, he was the king of Yehuda. And the Chizkiah and the Jews living in the south were concerned. Here we have Sancherev approaching, and uh, what's going to be? Tanakh tells us that a miracle took place, and the entire army was wiped out, laying their dead on the battlefield, the Jewish people not knowing what happened. So one interpretation in the Gemara, Rav Yitzchak Nafcha told us that Hashem opened up their ears. Hashem allowed the soldiers to hear the shira, the melody of the chayos, of the higher level malachim, and they died immediately. If theoretically human beings were able to hear the Shira of Shemayim, it would be too much to handle. 
it would be too powerful. It would be a nuclear force that we just couldn't stand. The Zohar says a similar idea. The Zohar tells us that if not for human beings having their heart closed and their eyes shut, meaning to say if we were not sheltered in this physical bubble, we wouldn't be able to stay alive. Based on the, the beautiful melody of the, the circuit of the sun, as the sun is praising Hashem and all of the celestial spheres are making this music somehow in harmony with each other, if we would be exposed to that power, to that radiance, we wouldn't be able to stay alive. So music is a very, very intrinsic part of our world. It's a vodas Hashem chashuva ma'od. This can be an integral part of our service of Hashem. And it seems to be a major part of the shemayim of the celestial worlds as well. The question is when we talk about secular music or understanding the source of where music comes from. If music is an expression of the soul, and it sounds like it is. We have a source from the Eish Kodesh, Columbus Kalman Shapiro. He has a line that says, that the melody is a revelation of the soul. And you find this idea often in, in Hasidic sources, that music is the language of the soul. If that's true, that music is an expression of the soul, does that mean it enters into my soul? If you're playing music, and that's coming from your neshama, so maybe that penetrates my neshama in a way that can either be good, if it's coming from a, a pure source, or perhaps it could be bad, if it's coming from someone with, with bad midos, with negative character traits. If that's the case, then you could argue even classical music with no words, with nothing inappropriate, it all depends on who the composer is. Are we concerned for that level of interaction between the composer of the music and the one who's listening? Now, I'll share with you a couple of sources here. The first is from Rev Cook. Rav Cook has an amazing paragraph in the Oros where he speaks about the derech ech nechnosim el atraklin derech hashar. How can we get into real spirituality? Right? What, what method is there to, to really reach closer to Hashem? He goes on to say that the revelation of Hashem is everywhere in the world. In its beauty, in its splendor, Ruach, Neshama, and everything that's alive, and all the vegetation, everything that's growing, in the ocean, in the seas, in the light, Bikishronos Kosiach, in the thoughts of everyone who's speaking, Barayonos Kosofer, and in the mind of every author, Bidibionos Kol Mishorer, 
and in the heart or in the imagination of all the singers, there you find the revelation of Hashem. So I think what Rev. Cook is saying is that there are many, many places in the world where there's godliness. Everything can be an expression of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. I'll give you an example. Recently, you know, being the rabbi chaplain for the Boca Police Department, so they had a ceremony, and I, I did the, the opening benediction. And before the benediction, they had the national anthem. And there's a young lady, probably 19, 20, who sang the national anthem. They called her up and asked everyone to please rise. And you could tell when she went up to sing, she was, she was nervous. It was a big deal to her. But she got up there, and she belted out the national anthem. It was meaningful to her. It was an expression of something that she really believed in. She sat down, and she sat down right next to me. So I told her, I said, good job. You know, great job, that was wonderful. I had a friend of mine sitting next to me, and he was a little bit troubled. It's Kolisha. It's not really appropriate for us to be listening to this. So I explained to him afterwards, that's true. And there is an Isra of Kolisha, and we would never go to listen if you're in a place where you can't avoid it, so then you're not Mechavein, but you're there. But for her it meant a lot, and for her she was doing something significant. So you say, Shkoyach, great job. There's a piece in the Menos HaLevi. The Menos HaLevi was composed by Rishlomo Lakabitz, one of the greatest Kabbalists in Tzvat in the, the 1500s. During that magical time, the flourishing of Tzvat and Kabbalah, the Beis Yosef and the Sefer Haredim. And uh, we know Rishlomo Lakabitz from L'Chadodi. That was his famous song. But his commentary to the Megillah's Esther he has a very fundamental question, which is, if the point of Achashverosh was to create this beautiful, lavish feast, to get the Jews involved, and to be Masiach Dast, for them to no longer yearn for the rebuilding of the Temple, to have them assimilate into his society and culture and accept him. So, if he had everything at the Suda, from the finest wine and the design and the marble and everything you could possibly fathom, why is there no mention of music? You would think that would be a major component to any beautiful get-together. They have a band playing. So Shlomo Kavitz writes that Achashverosh understood that if there was music playing in the background, that might defeat his entire purpose. I don't want the Jews to be standing around and schmoozing and enjoying the wine, but then hear the music and potentially be uplifted and be awakened to thoughts of tshuva. Achashverosh realized that the music could be dangerous. It could inspire the Jews. Now you think about that, that's a radical thing to say. Who is playing at the, at the Feast of Achashverosh? He hired Baruch Levine, uh, Shweki, and Avram Fried. That wasn't the band. 
the band, well, they were non-Jews playing music. And I'm sure it wasn't rap music. I'm sure it wasn't heavy metal. In those days, all music was probably in the genre of classical music. But you see from the Menos Halevi that music, even based on a secular source, still has that potential to uplift, still has that power for tshuva. So from Rav Kook's broad philosophy of, you know, the divine is within everything, theoretically, and the Menos HaLevi sharing with us the power of music, even from a secular source, you could argue that even secular music, what's the big deal? The problem is, as we explore further, we do find other sources that seem to be somewhat negative on the uh, secular music thing. The famous Gemara speaks about the story of Acher. Acher was one of the great Tanayim of all time, Elisha ben Avuya. And the Gemara in Chagiga has the question, what happened? How is it possible for someone of his stature to go off the derech, to become an apikurus? The Gemara says, Zemer Yovani lo pasak mi pume. He was always walking around singing Greek tunes, right? Literally, Greek tunes didn't leave his mouth. So what does that mean? Rashi says, He was singing, and that was inappropriate, because it was after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Second Temple. And we know the, the, the verse tells us, Bishir lo and there's a, a famous Gemara in Gittin and, and a discussion in the Gemara in Sota that there should be a restriction of music after the destruction to avoid Simcha. And Rashi says that that's what he was doing wrong. He was singing after the destruction and that's what led him off the derech. Now the Marsha points out that the interpretation of Rashi is, is not so easy to understand. If the issue of Acher was that he was singing all the time, when there should be a restriction or a ban on music, why does the Gemara point out it was Zemer Yavani? It was Greek music. Even if he was walking around singing good old-fashioned Jewish music, that would still be a problem. So the Masha says a whole different understanding of the Gemara. The Marsha says, the reason why the Gemara says Zemer Yavani is because there was minus. There were ideas in the music that were heretical. There were messages in that music that were very much not in line with Torah philosophy. And because he was so engaged in that music, that's what eventually led him off the derech. That's how the Marsha understands the Gemara. Now, we could ask the question, according to the Marsha, what was Acher thinking? Why are you walking around singing Greek music? Don't you realize that it's not Jewish music? And you're a gadol, you're a great accomplished Talmud Chacham, what, what are you doing? So the answer seems to be that Acher probably enjoyed the melody, and it could very well be that some of the words were meaningful to him, and he was well aware of the fact that there were certain ideas there within the music that were not quite in line with Torah Hashkafa, but okay, what's the big deal? I'm enjoying the music. 
I'm not letting those little things have any impact on me. That's probably what he was thinking. We do see from the Gemara, at least according to the Marsha, that listening to music, that's an expression of philosophy or ideals that are not congruent with Torah philosophy, that could be very dangerous. When it comes to secular music, there might be many songs that are not officially apicorsis. The song itself is not talking about foreign gods or, or other basic issues, but there are oftentimes subtle and not-so-subtle messages within any secular song that are not in line with Torah Hashkafa. And I think we could derive from the Gemara and Chagiga that at least if that becomes somewhat of an obsession, if I get into that world, that could be a very dangerous thing. The, the Mishnah in Sanhedrin tells us, famous beginning of the 10th parak of Sanhedrin, Every Jew has an automatic portion to the world to come. However, the Mishnah goes on to list a couple of exceptions. One exception is, Rabbi Akiva tells us, One who reads outside literature, which is referring to works of Apikorsim, the Bartanura explains philosophy, reading Aristotle, getting involved with that world where you're confronting a lot of heretical ideas. That's the problem of the Mishnah. But the Bartanura goes on to say, included in this is not just reading literature, but Bishirim Shel Agavim Vediv Recheshek. Listening to Shirim Shel Agavim. The Divrei basically means love songs, romantic songs. She'ein behem chachma, where there's no wisdom, velo toeles, and there's no real benefit. man bilvad, but it's a waste of one's time. Listening to love songs, to romantic music, that's in the category of svarim chitzonim, where the Mishnah would say, you're jeopardizing your share in the world to come. Now, the love songs that he's referring to, clearly, that's music with words that are very inappropriate. And I would venture to say the majority of love songs out there in the secular world probably fall into this category. If there's a song talking about, you know, one's love who broke up with him, and you're lusting after that person like you're hungry for a steak... There are many, many ideas that are portrayed in these love songs that, that don't really fit with our perspective on what real love is, what a relationship is. It's basically, if an animal could talk, if a monkey could express its thoughts in a poetic way with music, it would be saying pretty much the exact same thing you're saying. And I think that's a pretty good getter to have in mind. If the song I'm listening to could have been composed by an animal if it had the ability to talk, then that's probably a song that I should stay away from because that's not elevating me, that's not uh, making me a better person or a better Jew. So Shiri Agovim, romantic music that distorts our concept of love and relationship, that's also, that's also to listen to. 
We find this idea going earlier back, the riff in the, his commentary in the Gemara and Bracho says the exact same thing. But what we've discussed until now has nothing to do with the melody itself. The Gemara in Chagiga, the Bartanura's understanding of the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, that's all focused on the words. If there are words or there are themes within the song that are either apicorsis or they're romantic songs in a way that doesn't connect with our vision of love and, and relationship, those things we stay away from. Now we've yet to see any source that tells us the melody itself is treif. The music itself is not okay because it comes from a treif source. We haven't seen that at all. Now there is an interesting comment of the Chofetz Chaim in Simon Tov Kof Samech in Orachayim. There's a, a piece in the Sharat Tzion where the Chofetz Chaim quotes the Shla and other Sifre Musr wor- works of ethics and morality. Not to sing love songs, Latinok, even to a little baby. Now, sometimes Tinok means child, sometimes it means a baby. Let's take it at face value. Singing love songs to very small children is a problem. Why? Because this creates a bad nature. This has a negative influence on the child. Now that lotion, that expression, is probably referring to something mystical. And we have that same expression in the Shulchan Aruch and Yerodea. The Ramah quotes from the Rashba that if a nursing mother has to eat something non-kosher because she's not feeling well, and for her, this is the only way of refuah. So then, of course, it's mutter. It's 100% acceptable, and it's a mitzvah to eat treif, if that's the only option. And you say a bracha of shahakul on the pork chop, and you enjoy it. However, says the Rashba, if she's nursing, it's better that child finds somebody else to nurse from while she's eating the non-kosher food. Because shemolid latinuk tevara it'll have some kind of influence. It, it, it'll have some kind of numbing effect potentially on the neshama of that child. So from this piece in the Chafetz Chaim, it sounds like there may be something mystical here besides the obvious, that the words themselves are inappropriate. He goes on to say, putting aside the issue on the child, that by singing these songs, one is in violation of nivelpeh. Nivelpeh means expressing things or concepts that should not be shared in public. Right? Nivelpeh, classically, it doesn't mean to curse, to use a bad word. Nivelpeh is you're talking about something that should not be a public conversation. And the Gemara Ksuba says that if during the chuppah, during a wedding, somebody mentions something about what's going to take place after the chuppah, so even though everybody knows what's going to take place, to share that is, is totally disrespectful, totally unacceptable. That's nivel peh. And says the Chafetz Chaim in conclusion, By singing these songs, we're also inciting the Yetzirah within ourselves. So when the words of a song are off, 
either because the philosophy that it represents or the inappropriate relationship that it's portraying, then we would definitely say, stay away. Is there potentially some mystical impact on the child or ourselves that we could derive from the Chafetz Chaim? Perhaps, but let's leave that in the back burner for now. There's a, an interesting quote from Rav Nachman of Breslov. And, and you find this echoed in the Hasidic sources, which is, I'll read you the line, that Meshomea Negina Menagin Rasha. If one hears a tune, a melody, from an evil person, Kasha Lo Lavod Es it becomes difficult to serve Hashem. But when you hear a melody from an upstanding good person, then then it can be beneficial. So we don't really have any sources in the classic Gemara, um, even earlier Sifrei, Musr, and Machshava that say anything explicitly about the song or the melody itself being treif. We do find, though, in some of the more contemporary in the last few hundred years, in the Hasidic sources, we do find this idea, that if the melody is coming from a negative place, that could have a detrimental impact on myself. Now, what I'd like to do is see in the post-skim, are we concerned for this or not? Um, there are a couple of different tshuvas written by Ramosha Feinstein, where... He speaks about um, singing religious songs, meaning non-Jewish religious songs. And clearly, as you could probably assume, he's not a fan of that. To sing a song that was actually composed for Avodah Zorah is a real isser. It's funny, my mother told me that when she was in elementary school, that's going back to the 1950s, she was in a public school, but the majority of kids there were Jewish. And they would have a choir during the holiday season. So all the Jews were in the choir, and they would sing some Hanukkah songs, and they would sing some Christmas carols. And in some of the Christmas carols, you, you had the mention of Yashka, and whenever the boys and girls got to that wor- word, there was just like a silence. Everyone skipped that word. They, they didn't feel comfortable saying that. So Moshe says, singing Christmas carols is not a good thing for a nice Jewish boy or girl to do. However, If you know that the person who wrote the music, they weren't doing so as a way of praising or lauding their God. They were just writing a song for the beauty of the melody. So even if the Mahabra himself is a notri va'akum, even if theoretically the person writing that melody is an Ovid of Arizara, he worships idols, ein iser, it doesn't make the melody treif. In a different tshuva, discussing a very similar issue, Ramosha says the exact same thing, but he does add the line that to sing the melody of a song that was initially composed for something religious in nature, 
even though you're singing without the words, so that might not be an iser, but that's definitely something that's mechur, that, that's gross, don't do that. You should have a sensitivity not to, not to sing the melody if the melody was initially composed for some kind of Jewish, non-Jewish uh, religious practice. But it's clear from Ramosha, nowhere does he mention a concern, well, it's coming from an akum, and therefore the melody itself is a problem. He doesn't entertain that as a problem. It sounds, therefore, from Ramosha that he wasn't concerned. And it seems to be that that was pretty much the, the prevalent custom of most gedolim. Um, I know stories of gedolim that really enjoyed classical music. The Shiva, you know, in Chafetz Chaim, he would like to listen to Beethoven when there is an opportunity. Now, if you know the person was a terrible human being, like the situation with the Richard Vanguard, someone who was an outspoken anti-Semite, so then there should be a sensitivity. I'd rather not listen to that music. I'd rather not feel any appreciation to the creation of a person who is so evil. Is there an iser? There's no official iser. Can the melody harm your neshama? From Ramosha Feinstein, it doesn't sound like he was concerned with that. Now, we never got back to John Denver. We spoke about love songs, songs with uh, heretical messages, but how about all the music that's somewhere in between? Where it's just a nice song... Simon and Garfunkel have a beautiful song about, uh, you know, the scenery and whatever it may be. Is that totally fine? Is that a problem? Ramosha was asked the question, and although the person asking the question doesn't mention uh, the, uh, the musician, it's pretty clear from the tshuva who he was referring to. He was referring to Shlomo Karabach. He says the, in the question, if you have somebody who was a Ben Torah, who was known as a Shomer Torah Mitzvos person, who composed many beautiful Nagunim, and he would sing in Hasanas and different Simchas, and his Nagunim caught on, and you have now many people singing them as well. But then there are rumors that are spread that he got involved with things that, you know, were not on the derech. He says, for example, that he brings Bechurim Basulos Yachad and Mezamer Lifnehem. He brings young men and women together and plays a concert for them. Are you allowed to listen to the melodies that he created before he started doing these things? Right, so it sounds like from the person asking the question, of course, anything he created afterwards, after he started singing with men and women and other things, of course those things, those melodies are off limits. And the only question is, the things that he composed beforehand, are those things still kosher? That's where the, the questioner was coming from. It's interesting, my parents, both my mom and dad, were at UCLA in 1964, and uh, they shared with me that one of their highlights was when Shlomo Karabach came to the student union and he was singing and you had hundreds of people there jumping up and down. It made a, it made a major impact on them. So that was the question posed to Ramosha Feinstein. 
Ramosha basically says that I think there's no problem. Anything that, any song that he wrote when he was assumed to be a Ben Torah is fine. And the only thing that Ramosha gets involved with is potentially a halachic issue of Shem Rishoyim Yerkov, which is you don't want to give credence or legitimacy to someone who's a Russia. But he says, first of all, that's probably only relevant to Dover Shebekedusha. If you write a Torah scroll, somebody writes a Torah scroll, and then four years later they go off the derech, is that Torah scroll still kosher? 100%. Because it was written when the guy was Shomer Torah Mitzvos. A Torah scroll that he writes once he becomes an Apikoris, that we can't use because Shem Rishoy Mirkov, we can't give any level of significance or Hashivas to that person. But says Ramosha, when it comes to a song, uh, music is music. Music is music. And therefore, perhaps even the Nagunim, and it's more than perhaps, Ramosha says, likely even the songs that were composed after he went in a different direction, those are also okay. It could be, Ramosha concludes, that for a Baal Nefesh, you want to be Machmir, there's room to be Machmir regarding those songs once he goes off the derech, so to speak, but uh, is more inclined to say that even those songs are totally fine to listen to. Now, although we're talking about Shlomo Karabach, we cannot pass any judgment whatsoever on Karabach. We have no idea what he did. We cannot be uh, negative towards him. There's a line I heard from the Rosh Hashiva, actually, that uh, he said, whatever may have occurred during his lifetime, I have confidence, knowing the neshama, knowing the, 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 the passion and the yashras of Karabach, I'm sure he did tshuva gemurah. But it would be a similar question in a more contemporary sense with somebody like Matis Yahu. You know, Matis Yahu is a nice Jewish boy singing Jewish songs. And then uh, Nebuch, you know, he was faced with, with, with major challenges and nisyonas that we can't even fathom fame and fortune and, and everything that pulls you in that direction. And uh, he goes off the derech. So does that mean that we can't sing the songs that he composed beforehand? And Ramosha would say, absolutely not. Those songs are for sure okay. And even if theoretically he would continue to write Jewish music, likely those songs would be okay as well. It's, it's interesting. We have the Havdalah, the musical Havdalah. And one of the melodies, we use a Karlbach melody. And we also use a melody that was written by Debbie Friedman. And Debbie Friedman, those who are from Los Angeles probably know the name. She was a, she was a cantor, I think in either conservative or reform shul. And uh, she, she made some beautiful music. So she has one melody for Havdalah that we, that we utilize, Motsoy Shabbos. So somebody had the question or the observation, how can you guys sing Debbie Friedman's melody? It just, it's so strange. She herself wasn't Shomer Torah Mitzvos, and she was a performer, and she was a cantor, and uh, what are you doing if you're an Orthodox shul singing her melodies? I think the answer is fairly clear. From a halachic standpoint, 
there is absolutely no issue whatsoever. And to also realize that she had a tremendous neshama, and she was just misled or uneducated in certain areas of Torah, and it is what it is. We're not judgmental, likely she was a tinuk shenishba, there's nothing wrong halachali with the music, and if it's a beautiful melody that enhances havdalah, then by all means, perhaps it's a mitzvah to use it. I had a conversation with somebody who, uh, who was religious for many years of his life, and then when he was in his late 20s, early 30s, really went off the derech, went into a whole different direction. He told me the one thing that he still connects with is listening to Karlbach. That's one thing, although he's totally in a different world now, when he hears Karlbach, there's something that just uplifts him. And I told him, I said, do you know why that's true? Because when you listen to Karabach, you're not hearing his voice. You're hearing his neshama. And, and that connects with any human being, no matter where we are. And there's a, there's a story I heard once. I have not confirmed this. I'm not even sure who the Rebbe was. But um, those who are into cantors, famous chazonim, there is a fellow, I think he was a Holocaust survivor, uh, Zavol Kratvin. Zavol was known for his uh, amazing chazanas, uh, but he, he, he wasn't a Shomer Shabbos Yid. There was one particular Rebbe who loved hearing him sing, and once in a while would walk over to the shul that he was davening at to listen. So one of the Hasidim asked the Rebbe, how can you listen? He, you know, he's, he's not Shomer Shabbos. And supposedly the Rebbe answered, when Zavol Davins, he's a Shomer Shabbos Yid. Now, not sure what that means, but, but I think the idea is true. We can't disregard certain beautiful and, and holy emotions. Even if it's coming from someone who is very chaser or very lacking in many areas. If it's music, mamish from a Russia, and we know the Russia, then there should be a sensitivity in the words of Ramosha, it should be mechura hadavar. It's just gross. You don't want to listen to the music. You don't want to be part of that. If it's coming from somebody who's not a Russia, but they're misled, or they're just not guided in the right direction, there's no isser whatsoever. Now, when it comes to secular music in that middle category, the answer is there's no isser. If it's good old-fashioned John Denver, or Simon and Garfinkel, or other music that's parv, that's not apicorsis, that doesn't have messages that are very much against Torah philosophy, and it's not a, a song of lust and physical desire and portraying people as a piece of meat. If it's not in one of those two categories, it's not usr. Does that mean it's mutter l'chadchila to indulge in that world? Probably not. There is a very clear connection between a Ben Aliyah and one who is very much involved in the secular world. And this is beyond music. We had our discussion on marijuana. We mentioned this idea. The Drusha and Shabbos was very connected. The idea of having a point system, just like Weight Watchers. Yeah, I could only have 42 points today. 
we should have a point system for how exposed we allow ourselves to be to the outside world. Even if the music is intrinsically okay, and there's no official isser, it should be in moderation. Because once we allow ourselves to become obsessed or absorbed in that world, the likelihood of being a Ben Aliyah, the likelihood of being someone who is Shakua and tr- just drenched in Torah, it, it, it's not likely. It's a very slim chance. So we have to be Roa said Nolad. We have to understand doing certain things can lead us in directions we'd rather not go. To say that listening to a Goyesha song is by definition usher, that's not true either. Let's stop here for now. And Amit Hashem will continue next week discussing melodies in the tefillah, um, pros and cons. All right, gentlemen, have a wonderful day.